Hello, I'm Anthony Morrow, and this is the Get On The Money podcast, where I give you those money lessons you never got to have at school. I've worked in the finance industry for over 20 years. I got fed up watching people who don't need any help get richer, while the people who need the most help continue to struggle. In this episode, you're going to hear about what it takes for a first-time buyer to get on the housing ladder. What did you have to do to buy your first house? You'll hear from Laura Beth, who's swapping a freelance career for a steady job in the hope of getting a mortgage. Freelance can be hit and miss when you get work, and I knew that I needed kind of a steady income coming in to get a mortgage, so I ended up applying for a PGCE and I completed it last week. So yeah, I've finished my PGCE now to be oh, a teacher. Fantastic. I'll tell you about the pros and cons of house buying, plus you'll get an insight into how to go about getting a mortgage if you don't have a steady monthly income. But first, let me tell you about this item I spotted in the news that gives you the broader picture when it comes to house buying in the UK. I think it's fair to say that the housing market this year has been pretty feverish. There's been the pent-up demand from people who wanted to buy but felt held back by the pandemic. So once restrictions have eased, they've rushed out looking for somewhere to buy. There's also been the impact of the stamp duty holiday. Did you know stamp duty was first introduced in 1694 to raise money for a war against France? It's still going now. Not the war, but the stamp duty. But it was put on hold last year to help those people who did still want to buy during the pandemic. The government was hoping it would keep the housing market afloat, even when people might have been feeling too nervous to commit their cash. Normally, you pay stamp duty when you buy a house that's over £125,000. For the past year, you haven't had to pay anything unless you wanted to buy a house that was over half a million quid. That's now come down to 250 grand, and from the 1st of October, you'll have to pay some stamp duty on a house back from £125,000. People were trying to buy their houses before that stamp duty holiday ended, so that's meant that house prices have gone up. In fact, house prices have gone up significantly over recent years, and this is really one of the reasons why there are an increasing number of people who are finding it harder and harder to get on that property ladder. In fact, Nationwide Building Society recently said that house prices have shot up at their fastest pace for nearly 17 years. According to Nationwide, if you earned the average wage, which is around £31,000 a year, you'd have to save 15% of your take-home pay for five years to raise a 10% deposit for a house. That's some going. And yet, Earlier this year, there were more mortgages given to first-time buyers than there had been for the past 14 years. That would be those first-time buyers trying to make sure they beat the stamp duty holiday. In a moment, you're going to hear from Laura Beth, and you'll hear what she's had to do to get herself on the housing ladder. I think it's interesting for us to hear from her because she's a good example of a young person who's taken after her parents when it comes to how important it is to get on the ladder. It's quite different to Will, who we heard from in the last episode, because for Laura Beth, buying a house has been such a priority that she's ended up changing her career so she can achieve that goal. However, as you'll hear, the pandemic played a big part in her decision on that score too. If you've managed to get on the ladder, what did you have to do to save up for that deposit? Or is it still a distant dream? Let me know what you think at chat at getonthemoneypodcast.com. If Get On The Money is helping you make more of your cash, then please could you leave a five-star review on your podcast platform. Hi, Laura Beth. 
Thanks for joining me on Get On The Money. Nice to meet you, Anthony. You're in your 20s and you were freelancing, but the pandemic has had a big impact on what you've chosen to do career-wise, hasn't it? Tell me about what had you been doing and what you're hoping to do now. Previously, I've been working in radio and I still do that, but it's freelance. So obviously with freelance anyway, it can be hit and miss when you get work and when you get paid and how much you get paid and all that kind of thing. And then especially when the pandemic hit, it became a massive issue because a lot of things went online and a lot of people said, don't come in anymore. And lots of things like that spurred me to think about what else I could do. And I'd been thinking a while about it anyway, because I knew that I needed kind of a steady income coming in to get a mortgage. So I ended up applying for a PGCE and I completed it last week, maybe. So yeah, I've finished my PGCE now to be oh, a teacher. Fantastic. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so the change of career is really down to trying to get a a regular income to enable you to buy a house. Where are you up to with that? So obviously now I've got my PGCA, I've applied for some teaching positions. But what I've been doing since I think it was November 2019, I've been paying into a help to buy ISA every single month. And I know that I've got a reasonable amount of money in that now. So when I get this job, hopefully I can start looking at houses and getting to grips with the housing market <laughs> well there's certainly always be a need for teachers so good luck in finding that job what's your living arrangements at the moment i live in a flat rented flat with my boyfriend so yeah we'd like to get out of this at some point <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're pretty organized when it comes to saving and your finances do you have a good relationship with money definitely my mum's my taught me from a very young age that you've got to save your money, you've got to make sure you budget really well. She's always been brilliant because she said that when she first married my dad and they, they moved in together, he was in charge of the money and he wasn't very good at it. So I think after the first month, she took it over and ever since they've been brilliant. But she's always taught me, you know, your bills come first. If you have to eat beans on toast for the rest of the month, that's what you've got to do. So yeah, I've been taught really well and she's helped me and advised me in how to save my money and you know, interest rates and all that kind of thing. Well, it's a subject we've spoken about a lot on Get On The Money, and we know that the discipline of saving can really bring lots of positive, not just in being able to afford a house, but when those unfortunate instances happen and for whatever reason you can't afford those bills, having some savings can really make the world of difference. The pandemic has obviously made you think around what your future career choices are it's also had an impact on people's finances how has it impacted you to be honest obviously you're not spending as much because i'm very much into going to gigs and going out so that's just not happened for a year and a half and i think i got loads of money back from gigs being cancelled so if anything i ended up with more money so it's been positive in that sense but obviously in the earning money sense it's not been as easy the challenges for young people buying a house is obviously a hot topic at the moment and the government are introducing lots of ideas such as the help to buy ISA to help more first-time buyers get on the property ladder. What's your thinking around why it's important to own that property against obviously renting? Well, again, my mum has very much informed me, uh, especially when I used to rent when I was a student. She used to go, wow, because I used to pay, I think, 450 a month as a student and she said oh you know me and your dad only pay 
200 a month for our mortgage you know it's it's ridiculous and i remember thinking at that point oh it's uh it's a bit unfair really isn't it that we uh, have to pay 450 a month or even more for a lot of people isn't it and they're paying 200 and then obviously when i've started renting again i've realized you know it's definitely good to own the property and i think having something that's yours as well that's a, a nice thing you know having something that you can decorate and live how you like because obviously when you rent that's not always possible you know you can't put holes in the walls putting pictures up and yeah I remember actually when I was a student the uh, laminate floor getting slightly scratched and that was a big problem and you don't have that big problem when it's your own. I suppose it's more cost effective really in the long run to only be paying 200 a month rather than 400, 500, 600 that is the case with a lot of people. And have you looked into the whole home buying process, so getting the mortgage and the whole legal side? That is definitely a little bit more complicated for me. It's something that I'm going to be looking more into. I think at the moment it's just a case of saving up and then going into that because I know that my brother's buying at the moment and he's been telling me all about having to try and get it rushed through because of the stamp duty holiday mm. and having lawyers on the case and having to get all forms signed and everything like that so I think that's some stress for the future when I know I've got the money behind me. <laughs> yeah well it's definitely an area that I think it's worth getting advice because there's a lot going on and buying a house even if it's not your first house is always one of the most stressful things that happens because there's so many things outside of your control that just having someone, an expert there who can help you with those things is a really important one. So, you know, bear that in mind. What sort of time scales are you looking at now? To be honest, obviously the pandemic has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works. I think before the pandemic, when I started, obviously, because I started saving in November 2019, I thought that maybe we'd be at a point now where we could start having a look, but yeah definitely not so i'm thinking maybe next year could be the year after it just depends because as say my brother's been telling me that a lot of them expect that you've got two years worth of constant wages to be able to produce so obviously if i'm starting teaching that's not going to be until september and it'll be two years from then so if not 2022 then hopefully 2023 but at that point i'll hopefully have a lot of money saved up so it'll be even even easier. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I think I think just for just for our listeners as well, I think actual mortgage companies now are becoming a bit more flexible in terms of income, and I think that's really as a result that people's employment habits are changing. So yes, the ideal would be someone a teacher with you know a couple of years of income. That's ideal, but there are now services and products out there that reflect the sort of new gig economy and the fact that people have multiple incomes that it just makes the actual buying process a bit more complicated but it's not as rigid as it used to be a few years ago where you know full-time employment was the gold standard and everything else was substandard if you you know for want of a better word so but I think you're doing the right thing there saving up as much money as you can until you get into employment so the help to buy ISO is a great tool the government created to encourage people to save and also to help first-time buyers build that deposit up how did you find yours? How did you select which one you were going to use? So I remember, and uh, obviously he's quite famous, Martin Lewis. He was yeah. on the uh, on the telly and he was talking about it. And I thought, oh, this sounded quite interesting. And at the time, I thought, 
I, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to afford it. And I thought, you know, maybe that this is a bit out of reach for me. And then I realised that, you know, that this is something that I probably need to afford because I think that this is going to help massively. So I, I opened it and I think you needed a £1,000 to open it with. So I opened it with a £1,000. And then you can choose what amount you pay into it each month with a maximum of £200 a month. So I've been paying in £200 a month. So I've been making sure... And it's just a direct debit, so it just goes without me knowing every single month. It's always near the end of the month as well, so I always think I'm doing quite well for money, and then right at the end of the month, that comes and trips me up. (laughs) Oh, that's quite interesting. I think getting into that discipline and setting up a regular payment that you almost don't notice is is fantastic, like a lot of the things you've been doing, Laura Beth. But it's quite interesting that you set yours up towards the end of the month, because what most people do is they set it up, if not on payday, pretty much near payday so it sort of goes before they've seen it whereas you seem to be inflicting a bit of torture on yourself there by by thinking you get to the end of the month and you're doing well only to see a couple of hundred pounds going into your savings pot but it's fantastic that you're doing that and I think you were just another example of actually that this whole idea that young people are reckless and carefree when it comes to their finances is a bit of a myth I think and actually just just from my experience of speaking to people as part of this podcast series you know there's some really sensible people doing sensible things within the circumstances that they've been given and it's great to hear and I wish you all the best not just in your home buying but also in your new career which is fantastically rewarding if I can say that without being patronizing yeah no definitely I've been enjoying doing the PGCA so I'm very much looking forward to getting into the world of work I'm definitely looking forward to going into actually real teaching and it's got good prospects so hopefully you know in a few years time not only will I have a house but I'll also hopefully be a bit higher up in the world of teaching so you know there's lots to look forward to and, and what age group are you going to aim for first? So my PGCE is 14 plus, so mm. I'm looking to... Ideally, I want to teach at university level, but I have to do college first. So I've applied to be a media teacher at a college, and then I've got to get my master's and my doctorate to be able to teach at university level. So that's all in my future at some point. Well, that's fantastic, and I admire your ambition. And best of luck on that, Laura Beth. And thanks for joining us today on Get On The Money. Thank you so much for having me. As you heard there, for Laura Beth, it's a no-brainer to buy a house. You can understand why she thinks that if she can get a mortgage that's cheaper than her rent. I want to pick up on something Laura Beth talked about before, and it's about whether or not you need a steady job to get a mortgage. Here's your financial survival toolkit when it comes to applying for a mortgage if you don't have a permanent contract. Remember, the most important thing from a mortgage lender's point of view is your ability to repay the money they're going to lend you. The best way of doing that is by being able to demonstrate how you've managed your money in the past. The way you show this to the mortgage lender is to get all the documents together from all your bank accounts. So get that together, and that's a really easy way to prove to the lender to say, look, here, over the last 12 months, this is what income I've had, and it will show it coming in. It doesn't necessarily have to be 
on the same day every month, but it shows that you will have a regular income coming in. You can either literally print off the bank statements, or there are any number of tools now, including most online banking tools, will have something that allows you to categorize all your spending into nice, convenient little sectors. And again, that will be a simple way for you to present that to the mortgage lender and say, this is how much I spend a month on X, Y. Then that goes some way to helping the mortgage company get comfortable that you have a regular flow of money coming into your bank account. The next thing that you can do is to be able to demonstrate that you can meet all your bills every month, that you don't have a history of missing any payments on anything that you owe, particularly things like credit cards or loans. The third point, and building on the previous two, is again to be able to demonstrate a history of having enough money left at the end of the month to repay whatever the mortgage lender is going to charge you for that mortgage. And you can do this because you'll have some money left over that you will have put away into a savings account that will be your deposit. Now those three things are the same whether or not you're employed or whether or not you are a freelancer. Those three things come together to present a picture to the mortgage lender as to whether or not you are a person they should be lending money to. Let's talk about credit reports. Any mortgage lender is going to carry out what's called a credit search on the people applying for the mortgage. Now there's some controversy around credit reports and whether or not they are still fit for purpose in the current world because there is instances where people that have never had any debt can actually get a lower credit score than for someone who has credit cards and loans because of how they score it means that they can't prove that they've ever had debt and therefore have ever been successful in repaying debt. Now, that industry is moving on because clearly that's, that's not a great place to be. And it is important to say that a credit search is only one part of the assessment a mortgage lender will undertake when assessing you for a mortgage. A good credit score on its own doesn't necessarily mean you'll qualify for a mortgage. What it definitely will do, it will highlight where there has been problems in the past around debt repayment, and that could seriously jeopardize getting a mortgage or at least getting a good mortgage. Whereas a low credit score, because of the fact you've never had debt, you know, should be viewed sympathetically with most mortgage lenders. Next time, I've mentioned before about how important it is to save, even if it's just a little bit each month. I've talked about how important it is to have your never broke fund if you're working in the gig economy. But what if you manage to save up a little bit more than that and you want to start investing some of that money? I sort of bought my first shares a couple of months ago, but I don't know what to do with my savings. Do I put it in more shares or do I keep it in case the shares go wrong? I'll give you the lowdown on saving and investing. If you're getting good tips and advice from Get On The Money, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Get On The Money podcast is out every other Thursday. To continue the conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Get On The Money.
Thanks for listening and see you next time.